0: American soccer fans, welcome to episode 61 of The Stars and Stripes FC podcast. Donald Wine here, manager of Stars and Stripes FC, your source for all things US national teams, the players that comprise them, and everything else surrounding the game of soccer in America. I hope you guys enjoyed that first episode we have back in episode 60 earlier this weekend where my friend Eric Schmitz from the World of CONCACAF podcast joined me to discuss the three games and kind of break down everything that happened in El Salvador, in Nashville, and in Honduras. If you missed that, go back and listen to that and then check out this one. This episode is the mailbag episode, which we were going to have on the last show, but we didn't want that episode to run too, too long. So we decided to split that up into this episode 61. So this episode is all about the mailbag. We had a few questions that came in from Listeners just like you. So in the future, I will do mailbags like this. If you decide to send me questions, that email SSFC podcast at gmail.com. If you are doing it on Twitter, the hashtag is SSFC podcast. Ask your questions there. And in a future episode, I will do more of these as we go along. But let's go into these questions. We had a few great questions. And I want to start with one from my friend Andres at AAI underscore 11. And he asked, why do you think Greg Berhalter didn't put Tyler Adams in the midfield to start the match? I don't know. Andres. I really don't. Um, When we saw that lineup, we were thinking, okay, maybe Tyler is cool being out in the right because he's played a little bit in that position at RB Leipzig, but we want him in the middle. And I think the issue was we could see immediately that we're, that there was a disconnect between the back half of the midfield and the front half of the midfield. And that created a huge hole that Honduras saw and took advantage of almost immediately. If Tyler Adams is in that situation, he's able to stretch the f- stretch, the back of the, of the midfield a little bit more forward. That gap has reduced and Honduras can't exploit it. And I'm not sure why he d- didn't start out that way. It would have been easier to say, start out in the middle. And if we need to, We'll throw you out in the right for, you know, 20 minutes at the end. But it was very clear immediately that Tyler Adams was trying to control the pace of the offense, but he couldn't do it because he didn't have the ball at his feet because he was out in the wing and that shouldn't happen. So I think we know that now. And I think Greg Berhalter will now say, yeah, there's no way I'm abandoning him uh, and putting him on the right. He needs to be a focal point of this offense. He needs to be the quarterback, the engine, and he can only do that from the middle. So Let's see if that transpires going forward. But yeah, it was a pretty bad move to put him on the right. I think everyone would recognize that. And kudos to Greg for eventually figuring out a way to switch that up and put Tyler in his natural position. Ted Morehouse at Alfonso 1229 asked, was Zimmerman on the U.S. men's national team roster? Was he the only player who never got called upon and why? Uh, Well, the answer is no, he was not the only player that did not get an appearance in this Window Ethan Horvath and Sean Johnson, the other two goalkeepers, obviously didn't do uh, didn't show Uh, Zach Steffen, of course, was removed, but he did not see playing time either due to his back spasms and then eventually developing COVID and then Walker Zimmerman and Jackson Ewell, who was called in to replace Weston McKinney. Neither of them saw the field in any of the matches either. But honestly, I'm not sure why Walker Zimmerman didn't see the field. I think it would have been nice to have him on the field, particularly in Nashville, but the flow of the game didn't dictate bringing in a, a defender. I think that's what it was. I think if we're ahead in at towards the end of the game in Nashville, Walker Zimmerman sees that field. He's called on as another defender to try and park the bus and make sure that we get out of there with a win, but that wasn't the case. We were trying to press to get that game winning goal because it was tied at that point. So bringing on the defender. Didn't make sense. Maybe bringing them on at the end of the Honduras game. But honestly, at that point, remember, we had three subs at the at the beginning of the second half, right at the stroke of halftime. And then Christian Pulse gets hurt, so he has to sub off early in the second half. And then you replace James Sands, who I did not think had a great game at all. So there's your five subs. So I think, honestly, it's not a reflection of Walker Zimmerman's talent or where he is on the depth chart, but I think it's just a matter of, we didn't have any opportunities to bring him in. Just like for the first two matches, we didn't see Ricardo Pepe because Greg Berhalter said the flow of the game didn't dictate bringing him on for it. When he was his number was called, he performed well. And I expect the same thing of Walker Zimmerman whenever his name is called. And he will be in future camps. He will see the field during World Cup qualifying. I'm quite sure of it. Justin Moran, uh, is next question, he is obviously a contributor. For Stars and Stripes FC, he asks, What would substantial changes look like from Burhalter to show he can get this group to perform to its talent level? And I think that's a difficult question because here's the thing I personally think that all of the ire directed solely at Greg Burhalter is unfair. Do I think Greg Burhalter made some tactical decisions that he shouldn't have done? Absolutely. Do I think he coached? well in these three matches? No, I don't. But he did not play the game. He may have put, he needs to put players in the position to play, but at the end of the day, these players have to produce too. He can throw nine forwards up there, but if none of them score, that's not his fault. Not all his fault. At the end of the day, it's a, it's a team. They are a team. From the coaches to the players, it's a team. And they all have to produce and do their job. And our forwards aren't producing very well. How many goals did we score? We scored five in this window, four of them in the last match. Only one came from the center forward, from the nine. So you have to say that these guys have to produce when their number is called. They have to be ready because this is World Cup qualifying. But for Greg, I want to see him figure out how to put more guys in their natural positions and make it so that they have an opportunity to play the way they are able to play. And I don't understand. I don't know what that is because honestly, I'm not a coach. That's why I'm not a coach. I, like there's a lot of things that go into putting a national team together. It's not like a club where you can figure out over the course of a few weeks and then say, Oh, this is the formation. He gets one week with these guys and then they're off for a month. And then he can't even call in the same group all the time because we have injuries and we have other things that preclude him from bringing in certain players. And there's also just for some, there's just a backlog at certain positions and everyone, all fans would rather Greg Berhalter bring in like 40 guys. If you think about it, there's so many people who are left off of these rosters that we could form yet another roster. And those guys still wouldn't play because there is, not enough time to bring in so many guys that it's unwieldy to be performing or at least to prepare for the games that you have to perform in. And he'd rather bring in a smaller group, I mean, albeit a little bit more expanded, but bring in a smaller group, and then if he needs to switch people out, he can't. But there also is the question of a lot of people have been saying, why don't you just call in all the European guys that way. When someone gets hurt or someone has to go home, they're already there. And I think when it comes to World Cup qualifying, people have to understand that Greg Berhalter also has to play the long game when it comes to his relationships with these clubs. Clubs aren't going to like when you're bringing in a guy that is 31st or 32nd or 33rd or 35th or 40th on your depth chart to not play every single month. They're going to get really upset that those guys are coming in, potentially getting hurt in training, and not playing at all, and going back and missing out on the training that they could be getting with their club. So there are some of these guys that were not called up for various reasons. Matthew Happy, for one, he was—they were trying to secure a move for him, and they finally did. So now he's able to be put in a position where he can play, and he can get playing time with his club, get into that situation, become comfortable, so that leaving for a week and a half isn't going to set him back any. Same with Gianluca Busio. He just started playing at Venezia. Daryl DK has been hurt for a long time. Paul Ariola's is hurt. Jesse Zardes is hurt. There's a lot of guys that could be called in, but they just weren't. Julian Green is probably the one where people say maybe he's a snub. And yes, would I like to see him on this roster? Sure. But who's, who are you leaving off? Like That's the question. For every one of these guys that you're calling in, it's not just adding to the group. At a certain point, you got to say, who are you leaving at home? And I think that's where a lot of people don't give Greg a lot of credit because he has to navigate all of that. We don't. We're fans. We can call whoever we want. He can't. He has to navigate those relationships. He has to maintain those relationships with the players and with their parent clubs. So I think it's a great question. and It's one that we can always debate, but the substantive changes are going to happen because we got guys who are hurt and really it's on the guys that are at their clubs to keep producing, keep playing, keep improving, keep growing so that, so that this team can play at its positive level, at its talent level. Because, yes, on paper, we have a lot of talent. But if these guys can't play together on the field, then what's it for? And it's not all on Burhalter. At the end of the day, Burhalter needs to coach, and he needs to do it well. He has not co- coached well. That's fine. You can can debate that. But it's not like he did that and the players played exceptionally well because they really didn't. Other than one half in Honduras, most people would argue that they didn't really play very, very well. So they have to improve too. They have to take the lessons that they've learned, remember what this is about, what this marathon, not a sprint is about, and learn from the mistakes. Learn from those bad moments so that next time when they come up again, and they will undoubtedly come up again, They will be ready for it. They'll be more prepared and they'll react differently. That is how you grow and mature as a soccer player. So Justin, great question. Thank you again, Justin. You can find him along with all of us at Stars and Stripes FC writing articles. He usually does the midweek game thread. So look for him there. The next question I have is from MJ, the CPA at MJ underscore the underscore CPA. He asks, what's the updated us MNT striker depth chart. It's a great question because it's one that has been debated throughout this entire summer. And the answer is, I don't know. I think you're playing recency bias. If you say, okay, Peppy scored, he's the number one going forward. No ifs, ands, or buts because it's clear that Greg Burhalter trusts Josh Sargent. Josh Sargent needs to improve because he did not play well at all against Honduras. He did not play well at all against El Salvador. He needs to play better if he's going to be the number one. Jordan Fuck had a chance against Canada. I thought he played better than Sargent, but did he separate himself from a pack? No. You have Matthew Hoppe who can play the nine. He wasn't in this camp. You have Jossie Zardes who's hurt. He can play the nine. Ricardo Pepe, I thought, played brilliantly. And I want to see more of him because his energy is what I was, what I was craving, what I was looking for. But he's going to have games where he doesn't score too, and people have to understand that when that happens, they can't throw him to the back of the line, just like they're doing everyone else. If Josh Sargent doesn't play well. People go, oh, he's you know he's trash. Get him out of here. Jordan Peevok, he oh he couldn't score. Get him out of here. Uh, Nicholas Joachini, oh he can score. Get him out of here. You can't do that because there are very few. Strikers in the history of the world who just score every game or feel like they score every game. These guys are going to have growing pains. They're all young. They're going to have opportunities to score and they're going to miss them. And yes, you can get frustrated at them. Sure. Of course they're getting as frustrated as we are, but they have to be confident. And that is part about going to the club and playing a lot and getting well. Daryl DK, another one, Daryl DK, he showed up on the scene. DK train was rolling choo-choo. Now that he hasn't scored in a couple games at the gold cup, he didn't look well. He got hurt. Now he's not playing as much. Now people are soft enough. like, no, that can't be true. Daryl DK is still a great player. He's still going to be a great player. You just can't do that. It's going to be musical chairs. If every time a number nine doesn't score in their game that you throw him out and you say, we can't have him or I don't want to see him again. There's going to be games where these guys get scoring chances and they're not going to score. So, if MJ, the CPA, if you ask me right now who my striker depth chart is, my preferred striker depth chart, I have Daryl DK as the first pick. Give me him because I think the, the hold-up play is what I want. I like Jordan Pifok. Put him at second for me. Put Pepe at third because Jordan P.Fuck has also been scoring well for his club too with young boys, and he's going to get a lot of opportunities to shine in Champions League. So I want to see that happen. I want to see them all improve. I think those are my top three right now. I think Sargent can obviously work his way into a lot of situations, but he needs to get better. He needs to get more confidence. He just doesn't have that right now. And I like him as a player. He used to have that confidence, and he's kind of waned a little bit, partly because of Werder and working into the field at Norwich. But I want to see him improve and take a leap in this year. That'll help this team. It'll help him as well. So there is my updated striker depth chart strike right now. I reserve the right to change that at any time, including right after I record this. So uh, that is why this debate keeps going because every single week guys do things that add to their resume or track from the resume and people can stack up. But at the end of the day, whoever is on that field in that nine position, we got to will them to produce. We got to feel confident in them. And if they don't produce every single game, then it's not the end of the world because you have to still give them that confidence that, Hey, you may have not scored today, but I I believe that you will score tonight because we can't give them confidence by just cycling through them every single game because they didn't score because no one else is scoring right now for our team other than one good half. So we have to get guys used to saying we have your back and we know that you are going to give it your all. And if you mess up next play, And if we look at that over the course of time, then you can develop a resume and an opinion. But for me, it's not about just cycling guys through because they're not scoring, because no one's scoring. And we're just going to keep playing musical chairs at that position for a long time, if that's going to be the case, because no one's going to have that confidence. And I want them to have that confidence. That's important for strikers. I know. I used to play that position. So thank you for that question. The final one I have is from Joe Davis at Joe Davis 4. And he wants me to rank the food and beer from each location that I went to. Uh, And this is a fun question because, as you guys know, I went to El Salvador, I went to Honduras, and I obviously went to Nashville. So I think for Nashville, let's just get this out the way. Hattie B's, hot chicken, got to do it. Cookout, definitely got to do it. Biscuit love, you got to do it. Those are all food items. Martin's and Edley's for barbecue. Pick one, go there, enjoy it. It's fantastic. Uh, Even do Prince's for hot chicken, do the circuit. That's easy to do for beer. Shout out tailgate brewing over there on music row, uh, the AO Nashville headquarters, uh, go there. If you ever have a chance, they have great beer selections. They also have a seltzer as Eric said, uh, that was made for the American outlaws for this thing. So of course I'm going to be partial to that. That's basically all I drank all weekend. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, also Yazoo very, very good as well. So you can do that for Nashville, I'm not going to tell you what to do in Nashville because you guys should already know, go to Hattie B's and then follow the crowd everywhere else. So let me talk about El Salvador. El Salvador, they have the national beer, which is Pilsner. Um, Pilsner is terrific. Uh, it's a very light beer. So you guys can do, uh, you, if you go down there, you know, most of these countries only have one or two options here. Uh, so Pilsner was the beer. So there's your ranking right there. Pilsner is number one. There's a couple other local ones that you could try. Which, which we're fine, but Pilsner is a national beer for a reason. Food, though, there is one rule. If you go to El Salvador and you do not have a pupusa, you did not go to El Salvador and you need to try again. The national food, the national dish of El Salvador is the pupusa. You must have one. They're all over the place. We went to one just a block away from our hotel where they had 10 different kinds of and. I wish I'd had them all because they were all fantastic. I live here in D.C. where pupusas are everywhere. And even at Audi Field, we can get pupusas. But these were banging. So if you have to have anything in El Salvador, you better have a pupusa and you better have several of them. Pair that with a nice pilsner and you're going to be just fine. For Honduras, the national dish there is the baleada, which is a kind of taco. It's, it's not really a taco. So I hate saying it's like one, but it kind of looks like one at first glance. I only had one. They're fantastic. But the one place that we went to that was eye-opening, and Eric mentioned the Power Chicken, that was one. Uh, what he did not have was the chicken rice there, which was fantastic. But there is a taco place right around the corner from our hotel called Pinchy Taco Shop. And they they specialize in birria tacos. I don't. I know this is a big phenomenon here in the United States or a growing phenomenon here in the United States, but down there, it's just... It's just what they eat. And every taco they had was made beer style. They were all absolutely fantastic. It was the first food I had in the country. It was one of the last foods I had leaving the country. Just absolutely amazing there. So if you are in San Pedro Sula, find Pichi Taco Shop. Thank me later. And for the beer there, they have an Imperial, which is really the national beer of Costa Rica. But their national beer is Salva Vida. Let me tell you, we drink the bar at the hotel out of Salva Vida two days in a row. So uh, that should tell you how great it was to cool down on what were really hot and muggy days. So Joe, there are your food and your beer rankings from Nashville, El Salvador, and from Honduras, but don't take my word for it. Next time the U S men's national team play down there, all of you have to go and you can make your own food and beer rankings and your rum rankings because Central America is great for rum. So, I highly recommend you take advantage of that too. So thank you all for your questions. That will do it for episode 61 of the stars and stripes FC podcast. Again, thank you to everyone who submitted questions. I'm sorry. I didn't get to all of them, but as I mentioned in the future, we will have more of these mailbag episodes, SSFC podcast at gmail.com. If you want to submit questions or you can do it on Twitter using the hashtag SSFC podcast, listen, subscribe, rate, Review, tell your friends they're awesome and they really help. So we appreciate all of that. We have a lot coming up next week. The women's national team is back in action. And any other news that may hit the wire, we will be there to discuss it. Stay tuned to starsandstripesfc.com for all of your news surrounding the U.S. men's and women's national teams and their club action because there's a lot of club action that will be coming up. So until next time, take care.